be seated. We turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. If you have a copy of God's Word and you want to go with me, we're going to be studying today particularly verses 13 and 14, though I'll be reading a little more for the sake of context. We're not just looking at these uh, verses and to see what they might teach us about the Christian faith. We are looking more broadly throughout the book and uh, considering what this teaches us about life and our approach to living under the dominion and lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, I will pick up reading in verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. The portion for today, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Well, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, such great and gracious words, we pray that we too would grow in the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Teach us what you have done for us and in us and uh, have uh, done in the person and work of Jesus, that we also may walk worthy of the Lord and please you and be fruitful in all things. We do pray that you would um, give us this understanding of the freedom that we have in Jesus for the deliverance and the redemption which you have provided, that we should no longer be captive to the thoughts or the lives of the past, to all that has been done to us or against us. We pray that we would truly live in the light of the freedom that is in Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen. Uh, Today, the question of free will is being hotly debated by scientists. Uh, On the one hand, of course, we uh, experience the ability to make our own choices, freely to act upon them. But on the other hand, uh, psychologists uh, tell us that we are largely the product of our unconscious or conscious desires, Uh, the Freudian worldview. Sociologists and behaviorists emphasize that we are the product of our environment and upbringing and past. In fact, we're all victims to some extent to these things. Uh, Violence leads to violence, poverty to poverty and among the generations and so forth. And the neuroscientists, for their part, they point out, look, if, if the human being, if the human mind and brain is just a bunch of chemical reactions in a three-pound brain, um, it's hard to see where freedom might come from. In fact, they've been reporting that uh, they can see the brain making choices before we even experience making a conscious decision. And this has been very interesting. It's been around in the press. Maybe you've seen it. 
uh, popular atheists like Sam Harris and Alex Rosenberg have heralded the neuroscientific discoveries as proof positive that human beings have no free will. Uh, I, I read to you a few weeks ago from the Atheist's Guide to Reality, a, a serious book by an atheist to his fellow atheists. And he begins, is there free will? Not a chance. Because if you believe in science, he says, this is all just physics, right? There might be some randomness to this reaction, but there is no freedom. Well, of course, the philosophers have been debating all this for centuries, right? But uh, suddenly, a few years ago, then the neuroscientists, as one man put it, barged in like an elephant into the china shop and claimed that they've solved the whole thing in one fell swoop. Back in 1964, uh, a German scientist monitored the electrical activity of people's brains while they tapped uh, a, a monitor with their finger whenever they chose to do so. And they tried to detect from the brain waves if they could sense someone making the decision. And sure enough, a fraction of a, section, a second before the finger tapped, the squiggly lines on the monitor went up and down. Aha! We can watch the brain deciding to act. And then a few years later, it got even more complicated when in another experiment, they reported that the brain actually starts firing a third of a second before people make a conscious choice. That is to say, they said that the brain makes the choice and then afterward, people experience choosing, making a decision. And they concluded that what the mind experiences as a choice is just an illusion. The choice was already made. In a lot of news, maybe you didn't see all this, maybe this isn't as interesting to you as it is to me, but... Uh, People were saying, look, we're not really in control of our own choices. Our experience of choice is an illusion. Now, this has been debated back and forth. Uh, in 2015, another scientist won an international prize for showing that that experiment made a critical mistake in the analysis, and uh, they had not found what they claimed. But it, the whole thing has heated up research now, so that today there are big grants, big conferences for people trying to unlock the secrets of the brain to see if he can perceive our thoughts or make human machine prosthetics or even probably somebody wants to know how they can control the brain, right? Um, just a couple weeks ago, uh, University of California at Davis, they reported a, the results of a major experiment that the brain, the pattern of brain activity preceding the subject's free will choices could predict where they were going to later focus their attention, okay? Just reading the brain, they can tell before you make the decision what you're going to make. That's weird. How free are we? The battle over free will has been joined on a new front, not with philosophers and theologians as in the past, but now with scientists and EEGs. Are we really free? Are our choices, which feel free, actually captive to some prior impulse or action in our brains? Um, it's a matter of, of some interest maybe to some of you scientists, scientific people. Um, but more practically, we can ask, look, is there any hope for us? Uh, does our past determine our future? 
Does what has been done to us determine how we will live or what we will do to others? Are we free? That's what we'll be considering today. These Colossians also grew up with a very different understanding of the world. They were taught all their lives that they were at the mercy of fate. Very important in Greek philosophy. A fate which they could not avoid. You know, Oedipus tried to get out of his fate, but you see how far that got him. Uh, even the gods were subject to the fates. And, and speaking of the gods, the people in Colossae grew up being taught that they were helpless before these powerful but temperamental gods, and your only real hope was to try to appease them. Um, such a privilege for Paul to explain in his letter about the love of God, who's a father to his people, verse 12, who saves us by grace, who makes us strong with his own power and teaches us joy and so forth, verse 11. Well, the Colossians grew up in this world where they feared principalities and powers. Uh, the evil eye, the witch doctor, they, they were not truly free. They were at the mercy of all of these unseen powers. But... Paul, as we've seen, has set out to rebuild their whole understanding of life from the bottom up to give them a complete Christ-centered worldview. And in this opening chapter, he explains the true meaning of life. He goes on and explains, as we saw last time, where we come from, where we are going, and so forth. The topic for today, how Christ has truly, gloriously set us free. And I'd like to consider our deliverance from darkness, first, our freedom through forgiveness, second, and then we'll ask the big worldview question, so how does this change our approach to life today, and are we truly free? Uh, first, then, our deliverance from darkness, our deliverance from darkness. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. <coughs> Some of you have the dominion of darkness or something similar. Uh, what does he mean? Well, darkness in the Bible can describe any number of terrible conditions. It can refer to ignorance. Uh, Paul elsewhere describes those who have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Darkness can be ignorance. Just as blind people can't see even what's right in front of them, spiritually blind people cannot perceive God and the spiritual things that are everywhere on display, I think. Uh, the difference is that blind people know they are blind versus spiritually blind people who don't even know that they are blind. They are blind to their blindness. Jesus has revealed to the world the most amazing love, power, grace, justice, goodness, and mercy of God shining forth. But people that are blind to these things can't see anything in him. Darkness can mean ignorance or spiritual blindness. Second, uh, darkness is also a picture of sin. Paul wrote to the Romans, Let's cast off the work 
of darkness, the works of darkness. And he mentions drunkenness, lewdness, strife, and envy, and so forth. It says that Jesus said, Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Darkness can mean sin, the power of darkness, the power of sin. And finally, darkness can refer to the personal power of evil that's at work in the world. That is the diabolical power behind all this ignorance and sin. As Paul explains elsewhere, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Um, So when they were coming to arrest Jesus, he said to them, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Same phrase as we have here, the power of darkness. God alone has the power to deliver us from the prince of darkness. And here is the reason behind world's sin and ignorance. All right, so we read here about the power or dominion of darkness. I mean, we know that there's darkness. We know that there's spiritual darkness. What's the power that's behind all that, right? The greatest slavery that exists is when someone thinks he's free, but he's actually in bondage, right? You know the power of addictions to do this to people. They think that they're free, but they are, in fact, completely bound to their sins. Like the man who was addicted to brake fluid and said he could stop any time he wants. (laughs) Addicts say that they're in complete control, but to every rational person around them, it's absurd. They're addicted to something that's ruining their lives and bringing misery to others. This is the terrible power or dominion of darkness in a life. Paul is saying here that there are only two possibilities. Either a person is under the power of darkness or he's in the kingdom of God's beloved son. Those are the two choices. No alternative or middle ground. All right, so there's the the basics of the passage, what it means. So where are you? The dominion of darkness, the kingdom of his beloved son. Where are you? And what can you do about it? You know, if, if you lost your eyesight this morning, you know what you would do. Every one of you. I know what you would do. You would go immediately to the doctor. Monday morning would be too long to wait. You would be over there in the emergency room saying, Doctor, I need you to help me now. I need to see. You know what you would do in the natural world. And friends, it's exactly the same in the spiritual world. You need spiritual sight. Well, who can give you sight? The verse says it. He, that is God, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love to give you, again, uh, spiritual sight and light uh, and freedom. You need to behold the most wonderful and glorious things that any creature is capable of seeing, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and to be transformed by it, we read, from glory to glory. So if this is what you need, I can't give it to you. You can't give it to yourself. There's only someone that we are speaking about who can give you that sight. And that is the power of God. 
Uh, a friend of mine recently told me how she had left the faith of her family some years before, and uh, she was living a life for many years that she felt at the time was more and more free. And then one day, years later, the Spirit of God suddenly brought her to a powerful conviction and showed her that how every decision she had made had led her farther and farther from God and from what she knew was true and from what she knew was right. Or as I explained it today in these three areas, it left her more and more under the dominion of ignorance and sin and Satan. It's the power of darkness. But on that day, Jesus said to her soul, Woman, thou art loosed. And a powerful spell was broken. And how happy she is at last that she is free, that he has set her free, that she is safe and joyful in the kingdom of God's beloved son. This is what he does. This is what we need. We need deliverance from the power of darkness. So are you really free? Is your will as free as you think it is? I I tell you, it doesn't matter your past, your family, what people have done to you, what you have done to yourself. There is someone who has the power to set you truly free. Jesus explained, whoever sins uh, is a slave to sin. And a slave doesn't abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So here's point one, our deliverance from darkness. This is what God had done for the Colossians. He had delivered them from the dominion or the power of darkness and put them into the kingdom of the son of God's love. So... Uh, a whole new future has opened up for them. And you say, okay, God maybe can change my future, but he can't change my past. Uh, Don't be so sure. We come secondly to our freedom through forgiveness. Our freedom through forgiveness. Verse 14, he continues, in whom, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, when you hear the word redemption, probably think of it in a religious context. I mean, here we are in Redeemer Church, after all, right? So uh, that's where your mind goes. Uh, The average Greek person in the first century wouldn't have thought anything about that in a religious sense. Um, He would have thought about, uh, in non-religious terms, um, a common word used to describe the freeing of a slave or a prisoner of war by paying a price. Well, this is what Jesus has done. Who paid the price for our redemption? Jesus, through his blood. Uh, Some of you have that phrase in a footnote. There's a text issue there, but that's clearly what he means. We we talk about uh, debt forgiveness today. But in the case of our sins, God has paid what we owe with his own blood in Jesus. There's a uh, cartoon that shows a psychologist listening to his patient. And he replies to his patient, Mr. Figby, I I think I can explain your feelings of guilt. You're guilty. Um, It's amazing how people try to get rid of their past. The oldest method, you know, is Operation Fig Leaf. Try to cover up your sin and pretend it's no problem. Um, 
Some people said that's like trying to face a holy God uh, while, uh, uh, sorry, that, that facing a holy God while wearing fig leaves is like attending a black tie dinner in your underwear, right? Uh, it's not particularly effective. Not before God, anyway, right? The second oldest method is to blame other people or even blame God. Adam did that. Uh, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me from the tree and I, I ate. Um, our greatest problem isn't what other people have done. Our greatest problem is what we have done. And blame shifting and rationalization and blaming our circumstances and making ourselves the victim. Well, maybe we were the victim. But the point is, all that can't take away what we have done. Mr. Figby, I think I can explain your feelings of guilt. You are guilty. The point is, God has done what all of our attempts at blaming and finger-pointing and victimization cannot do. Here it is. God has given us redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sins, that no matter how we might feel about our past, the fact is, all of our sins are under the blood of Jesus, past, present, and future. By one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You are washed clean. And God has done what all of our futile attempts could never do to deal with the root of our problem. And God, who has, will judge the world in perfect righteousness, cannot simply forgive what we have done. As I said recently, justice has to be done. So the cross of Christ is where the justice and the love of God meet, where God himself pays what man has owed. And that is redemption, the payment for freedom through the blood of Jesus to set you free from all of your past, present, and future. And why is this important? Well, uh, he says in context here that we might thank God all the more for his love. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Christ is never valued truly until sin is clearly seen. And it's important that we might live new lives in God's power, which is what he goes on to say. For instance, verse 29, striving according to his working in which he works in me mightily. The letter goes on to tell us about how the reign of sin is now broken in your mind and heart and life, and God is evermore the source of our strength and progress and victory. So, the Lord has dealt with your past, in part in order to give you a new future. There's a line in the English prayer book that goes like this, O God, um, in knowledge of whom stands our eternal life, whose service is perfect freedom. There's only one Lord whose service brings us perfect freedom. Or as Bob Dylan sang so many years ago, you got to serve somebody. Jesus promises us true freedom, lasting freedom, freedom from the real causes of bondage and misery in the world. And what's that? It is sin. And from sin, Christ has come to set us free. Our deliverance from darkness and our freedom through forgiveness. All right. So, opening up these two verses for you about what he's done to set you free. Delivering you from the power of darkness to convey you to the kingdom of the Son of, your, of his love. 
redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, for the rest of the time, I'd like to consider the practical importance of these things to your life and to a Christian worldview. Uh, I watched a video a while back where a man described what it was like for him growing up in the slums of Dallas. Um, on the movie there, he, he walked by the apartments where he had grown up. Uh, they were all now condemned and abandoned and empty. But when he was growing up full of crime and drugs, prostitution, other things that don't need to be mentioned. And he pointed to those buildings and he said, you know what, in all, in all of these buildings, I didn't know of one single marriage. Common law was the only kind of marriage we knew. And this man grew up there and imbibed that worldview and he lived for himself. He was free. Do what he wanted to do. But then something happened to him as a young adult. Through a friend, he came to know the Lord Jesus. And it was a total revolution for him. And, and not just for him. Nobody said a word to this man. Just in his own reading of the Bible, he realized that he needed to marry the woman with whom he was living, with whom he'd had a few children. And he needed to start caring for those children and stop drinking away all of his money. And in his church, then, he started a ministry some years afterward to help people like him who had grown up in that kind of pain and brokenness and immorality and irresponsibility to people who used to think that they were free and came to realize that they were in the depths of bondage. They were only bringing misery to themselves and others without God and without hope in the world. And he said, I, I want to tell you what I have learned and what I have found. And this is the point. That all of those terrible experiences of his past, which marked him, which held him down, which destroyed the lives of so many of the people in his own neighborhood, right? Those things that, had, that were so destructive became the very things that gave him the compassion and insight and wisdom and understanding and ability to help and bless and serve other people. Jesus changed the meaning of that past. He took what kept people in bondage and turned it into something that not only set them free, but gave freedom to others. You see the, the power of being taken out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of the son of his love. Everything that had been against him became for him. The same things that crushed other people through the Lord's redemption, which took time. But I'm just saying, those same things that crushed others only prepared him to minister to others in the name of Jesus Christ, his Redeemer and ours. That's the power of Christ setting people free. This is what freedom truly means. And you think his story is an unusual one? 
uh, it was a BT professor here, is no longer here, but uh, she, uh, she was a Christian. She gave a, a presentation to the Graduate Christian Fellowships of several years ago, and I, I attended. Uh, she told us that, at, that as a Christian, she was very interested in how faith in Christ might make a difference in people's lives. And she said that she'd been doing some research on Americans uh, living in a cycle of poverty, right? You know what it is from generation to generation. It's very hard to break that cycle, despite the trillions of dollars, by the way, that we have spent. Well, she added a question about people's religion into her survey. And to her surprise, it was the number one predictor of whether people escaped the cycle of poverty. A cycle of poverty which crushes generation after generation, no matter how much money is thrown at it. The thing that made the difference in changing the lives and the future of generations was faith in Jesus Christ. And her research isn't alone. Uh, in the book, Children of the Land, Adversity and Success in Rural America, scholarly work published by University of Chicago Press, um, one research, researcher summarized a broad range of studies up to his day. He said, no other dimension of life in America does more to promote the well-being and soundness of the nation's civil society than citizens' regular attendance at church. This is a uh, sociologist summarizing a broad range of studies up to that point. No other dimension of life in America does more to promote well-being and soundness of the nation's civil society. For example, he says, spiritual and religious involvement affects educational outcomes more than income does. Uh, across, he shows across race, across socioeconomic status, and whatever you want to name, particularly its, it's, it's effect is seen in high, high poverty neighborhoods. He, he says specifically, the data available clearly indicate religious belief and practice are associated with the following list of benefits. Higher levels of marital happiness and stability, greater educational aspiration and attainment, especially among the poor, higher levels of good work habits, greater longevity and physical health, higher recovery rates from addictions to alcohol and drugs, higher levels of community cohesion and social support for those in need. And in, and in, and in, and in study after study after study after study, he says, uh, this is what sets people free. This is what makes the difference. All right, so why is this so important? It's important because our world is in a handbasket and doesn't realize where it's going. We're in an age of increasing pain, neglect, abuse, relational and societal dysfunction, disintegration, that has had a devastating effect on so many in a generation like ours. It's, a, it's been a downward spiral. We've not seen the bottom yet. What are, we, what are we going to do? More money? Well, we're $33 trillion in debt, and it hasn't done very much, right? Self-esteem. Will that cure us? Oh, I have stories to tell you about that and how the New River Valley Community Services, right down here, they had, all, they had everything based on self-esteem. Self-esteem was their program for this, their program for that, for addictions, for poverty, and so forth. Uh, I, I attended something there a couple years ago, and there was no word about that. I said, what happened? He says, we gave it up. People were just feeling better and better about their dysfunction, right? Uh, I said, oh, man, uh, it took you that long to figure that out? All right. Um, but they had something new. 
They, they realized that people were now victims of their past, and they were dealing with understanding and pe having people embrace their victimhood. I said, oh, this is not going to go very far. The, the world does not have the answer. It, 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 the world says that you are constrained by those things. And as Christians, we can believe those lies. We think, oh, we are under this dominion of ignorance and sin and Satan and what can we do? We look at our past and we say, well, I, I guess we've blown it. I guess there's no hope for me. This is where Paul's letter to the Colossians, he's just in a few words at the beginning, he's, he's, he's wiping away a lifetime of lies. And he's telling them about the full freedom and the power of redemption in Jesus. He goes on and explains it more later on, as we'll see. But I'm setting this out for you as the importance of a Christian worldview that we no longer believe the lies that the psychologists and the sociologists and the counselors and so forth tell us. The truth is, Jesus has the power to set us free. Oh, we're going to bear the scars. But even those scars of the past are going to be made very useful and helpful to others in their journey. And so, this is what it means truly to be made free. So, I conclude by asking once again, are you free? Is your will free? It's the question I began with. The atheists are, are right in asking the question and pointing to science and say, look, if it's just physics, right, chemical reactions up here, there's nowhere that freedom can come from. I, I suppose that's true, given the premise. But God has made us more than meat machines. He's created us with a spirit, not just a body. And as creatures made in God's image, Paul describes in chapter 3, about how we are being remade in the image of our maker, how to enjoy that free will that he gave us. We, we are free. We have that liberty that God has given us by putting something outside the machine, if you, if you like, the spirit. We, we are, as human beings, free to do whatever we want. That's our glory, but it's also our problem. We're free to do whatever we want. Our wanters are not good. We, have, we all have desires that are stronger than our principles. And every time we indulge those desires, instead of following our principles, you know what that's called? It's called sin. We just read it in Romans. The good that I want to do, that I don't do. The, the, uh, what I don't want to do, that I do. Doesn't, uh, doesn't go away in this life. Augustine has a funny way of explaining it. He says that fallen man has free will, but he lacks liberty. He, he means our, our choices are free in the sense that they're all ours, but our choices are based on our desires. Free will, yes, but liberty, no. You say, well, how can that be? We're free to do what we want, 
and we don't want to do what we ought. And therein lies the power of darkness. And that is why we need Jesus. And this is what we need him for every day. In order that he might more and more allow us to live in the light of the liberty of his redemption. To know the power of his freedom. Though the past still pushes in. All those experiences, all those memories, all of our environment, our culture, the American worldview, it's still with us. And we need Jesus day by day by day in order that we might hear him say, Woman, thou art loosed. Man, thou art loosed. Now go and be free. Live free. Live free to others. And we Americans, we, we love freedom. But we're not going to be able to keep it unless we know the author of it. One of my fellow ministers, Neil Stewart, he put it this way. As a nation, we're forgetting God, and we seem determined to remember only ourselves. That life philosophy makes us little better than animals who live only to satisfy their baser appetites. Well, we shouldn't be too hard on animals, of course. They have no higher appetites from which to choose. But as those made in the image of God, we really ought to do better. The politician offers little hope and even less constructive advice. Uh, the left prescribed the remedy of an even bigger government with more power to legislate and control the populace. The right proffer exactly the opposite remedy. What society really needs, they say, is smaller government with more liberty for the people. Now, he says, as a constitutional conservative, I have no desire for a bigger government. Very much the reverse is my preference. However, as our society continues to unravel, we do well to ponder what good adult liberties will be to infantile citizens. Wild animals may not be happy in pens, but neither will they be tamed by wide open fields. The civil law, he says, has no power to fix the human heart. And liberty is little help to those people that are mad enough to abuse it. There's a lot more to freedom than not wearing chains. Is this going to be the land of the free? Are you people going to live as free? I want to remind you of the author and source of our liberty, the source of the liberty of our nation that we have so long enjoyed, such as it is, a, a freedom that must begin here, within a liberty that every day tells us in Christ you've been set free, truly free to live, to love as you ought. Sin, Satan, the darkness of ignorance can no longer harm you, my people. This is the answer for today. Beyond the reach of politics, if the sun sets you free, then you will be free indeed. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we bless you for the largeness of your heart toward us, unworthy sinners, whom you have qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. If Christ has come to seek and to save the lost, 
if He has so humbled Himself for our sakes to deliver us in His love, we do turn again, our Father. We return again to You at the cross of Jesus Christ that we might read again the, the, the charter of our liberty in the blood of Christ. Renew our minds. Oh, Father, we confess that the lies that we have been told for so long, we still believe deep down. Oh, forgive us. Renew us. Renew our minds. Grant us faith to embrace your redemption, your forgiveness, your love and grace. Our Father, we know what it is to spend days of spiritual coldness of heart in a far country of business and routine and, and in the captivity of a cold heart. Bring us back. Bring us to a new experience of your freedom in love and grace. And we pray today, our Father, we, we pray that, that someone here, man or woman, boy or girl, may say that this is exactly what I need. I need freedom. I need the free gifts of eternal life that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I need to be set free and pray that the Redeemer would have all the glory in Jesus' name.